Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, experiencing the outdoors, and having epic adventures. At Hunt the West, my number one goal for you is to get out and hunt. I'm your host, Skylar Harrison. Thanks for tuning in today. This is episode 82, and I want to go over three free ways that you can improve your hunting season. So, obviously, there are tons of new fancy gear items coming on the market every year. There's tons of things that you could probably do to improve those and make your hunting season a little bit better, but who has money for that these days? I know I don't. Inflation is pretty crazy. Gas prices, food prices growing up. So if you're like me, you're looking for ways that you can improve your hunting season this year without spending money. So I have three free ways to improve this year. I well, okay. So the last one, I, I hope you don't really hate me for the last one, but I honestly don't think that you're going to like it because most people don't, but let's get into it. Number one, shoot your bow. And I mean, this probably goes without saying you can shoot your bow in your garage or your basement, um, shooting it at short range. They, I think people call it blank bailing where, um, you know, all these things have really good benefits. I mean, obviously better than that would be to find a spot in the mountains or shoot in your backyard. If you can get out to a little bit longer, this is one you definitely don't want to skimp on when we go hunting. Most of the time you have one chance, one opportunity to make it count. And that shot needs to be automatic and sure. It's kind of like the Olympics. If you have, if you think about the Olympics, you have all that time to train, but you only have one shot to make it count. If you mess up at the Olympics, you don't get a medal and you only get that one opportunity. So shooting routinely is the best way to get that shot sequence down and you need it to be automatic. There are so many steps to shooting your bow and most of them just need to be completely automatic or else you're going to forget them in the moment. I mean, this is just to name a few, but like grip, draw, anchor, peep, sight, bubble, pin, aim, squeeze, follow through. That's kind of the things that I think about. And there's probably a lot more steps than that too, but it just needs to be automatic. And I think shooting at close range in your basement or in the garage at five, 10 yards is really beneficial. And when I do that, I don't really pay much attention to where I'm hitting on the target, just that I'm hitting the target. I mean, make sure you don't miss hit the wall or something. I'm mostly just focusing on that sequence of the shot and that release and I want to make that release just feel crisp and clean. I didn't jerk it. I'm still picking a spot on the target to aim, but I'm not paying attention to like shooting groups or if I hit that spot that I was aiming at or not. I'm mostly just trying not to Robin Hood my arrow and keep that shot process dialed because arrows can get expensive. I mean, it's cool if you Robin Hood one, but I mean, you're down an arrow. <laughs> it sucks. And the whole point of this is to be saving money, right? Not losing arrows for no reason. Um, obviously, if you can get out to longer range, in addition to the blank bailing, that can be really important too. So in my backyard, I can shoot 30 yards, which is pretty nice. And um, that that's when I try and shoot groups and pay attention to where I'm hitting. I've, <laughs> I've destroyed too many arrows for my budget at 20 yards and under. So when I'm shooting 20 or under, I don't shoot groups. I'll 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 choose different spots on my target and until I get out to 30 yards and I'm trying to shoot groups because I usually don't Robin hood at that distance. So then getting out to even longer range is even more beneficial. I mean, these all, all these intermittent, like the really short intermediate ranges and long ranges can be beneficial each in their own right. But those 70 to hundred yard shots really make more realistic hunting scenario situations feel like a breeze. So when you're at 40 at a, with a deer, 
that's going to feel way easier if you've been practicing at 70, 80, 90, 100 yards. There's a spot out by me that Adam Buchanan and I named the trench. If you haven't listened to Adam Buchanan's podcast, this is really good. Go over and listen. First generation bow hunter. Um, we happen to be pretty close neighbors. And so we found a little spot that we've gone out to a few times and you can get out into that 70, 100 yard shot. And it's, I mean, when you smack a shot at 70 yards, it feels super good. But if you mess up a tiny bit at 70 yards, you might miss the target completely. Like everything is exaggerated at that distance. And obviously I'm not, for me and my skill, my skill level, I'm not taking shots at animals beyond 60 right now, just cause you know, I don't practice enough to feel like I'm going to hit it every time, but I know plenty of people who do well at that range and that's just due to practice. So, and if you have that ability, you should definitely expand it and it will give you a lot more freedom in those hunting situations because sometimes the terrain won't let you get closer without blowing something out or having and just having that ability to shoot out to 75 yards or so can unlock a hunting scenario that would be closed to most of us including me so shoot your bow at all different types of ranges and that is completely free and you should be able to find places near you around you in the mountains that you can go for free so that's number one, shoot your bow. Number two, hike heavy. This is obviously going to help you come hunting season, but most people don't train to carry heavy loads on their backs. I think it's becoming more and more common these days, but I don't think it's nearly universal and not practiced nearly enough. Practicing carrying a heavy load for a long period of time up and down steep terrain will help you in a few ways. And you don't need anything special. You should just practice with your hunting pack, strap something heavy to it that you probably already have. I use water softener salt bags. They weigh 50 pounds. Um, you can use something like that or sandbags or even just weights. Like if you have a big weight for a barbell or something, you can use dog food, anything that's heavy that you can strap to your backpack. I've, I like things like a bag of dog food or a salt bag or something because they kind of mimic a bag of meat, but pretty much anything is going to help. And this has a few benefits and some of them probably go without saying, but I want to just highlight them here because if you're not hiking heavy, I want to try and convince you to do it. Hiking heavy, heavy builds strength. You'll notice different muscles in your legs and your hips being activated that you don't usually use. And especially when you're walking on uneven terrain with a heavy load, it just hits those stabilizer muscles in your core, in your back, in your hips, you know, like Michael Scott, your arm core, your leg core, the Marine core. <laughs> but you can use, I mean, you can target those muscles with exercise bands and stuff. You can hit those hip flexors, but I just enjoy hiking with weight a lot more than doing those. Um, the other thing is that hiking heavy gives you options. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's the more comfortable you get, with weight on your back, the more likely you'll be able to go where you need to go to get an animal down, not necessarily where it's the easiest. Sometimes that best spot is the one that is the hardest to get to. And there are two situ two situations that you can be in. One being, oh, I can get in 2,000 feet of elevation with 50 pounds on my back because I've done it a bunch of times. So let's go up there. And then the other situation being like, dang, that's 2,000 feet of elevation game. I still have camp on my back. So you're like, both people are in the same scenario. One's ready for it. One's not. The animals are in the same place though. So I don't even know if that situation made sense, but I, I mean, whatever. <laughs> you kind of get what I'm saying. You want to be the person that's like, oh yeah, let's, it's only 2000 feet of elevation. I've done that before. Let's go and not be the other person. 
the point is it gives you options because you can go anywhere because you've done it before and you know what it feels like. So the third thing that um, hiking heavy helps you with is it helps you learn your gear. So one thing I've noticed is that 50 pounds can feel a lot lighter depending on how you load it on your pack. I think I've talked about this before, like load distribution and stuff, but I'm going to mention it here again. So I have an XO Mountain Gear 4800. Um, it's the K3 frame. They just came out with a K4 frame, which looks pretty sweet. But again, we're on a budget. We're not buying new packs right now. So <laughs> I'm going to stick with my K3. It's working great. It holds weight really well. And there's an accessory called the crib load panel. And it helps you strap the weight up high in between your shoulder blades, high up on your back. And that's exactly where you want it. it and if you throw like a 45 pound plate in the bottom of your bag, it's going to sit way too low. It's going to feel a lot heavier, even if it's stable and it's not sloshing around or anything. And as a side night, we can kind of ruin your bag too. If you put it in there alone, like if you're going to use a 45 pound plate or like anything with sharp edges or, you know, just straight metal. I would wrap it in a towel or something just to keep it from rubbing on the fabric of your back or, or whatever. But anyway, but if that's the type you already have, it's probably, it's a good way to carry weight. It's just, you know, actual weights that you'd lift normally in a workout. But any way you do it, you want to get it high and strap it between your shoulder blades close to your back if you can. Um, so that's the other reason I like hiking, hiking heavy is it helps you learn how to properly distribute the load to carry it in the most effective way. And then you can apply that to your load when you're backpacking. So you put the light stuff in the bottom, heavier stuff on top, close to your back. So what I usually do is I put my sleeping bag in the bottom, not in a stuff sack, and I just shove it down to take up space. And that way I can put the heavier stuff, like my stove, my tent, sleeping pad, all together, kind of shove them into that loose sleeping bag and it keeps it nice and tight. And then I can position the weight exactly where I want it. So the stuff sack kind of acts or the, the sleeping bag, not in a stuff sack. It acts sort of like a mold that you can shove stuff into and just put it exactly where you want it. And then obviously my water bladder is hanging inside the bag, right between my shoulder blades. Water's heavy. That's where you want it. So yeah, that's the quick version of how I load my bag. And you'll see all those principles of low distribution when you hike heavy. So that's another reason. So it just feels a lot lighter when you put the weight right in the, in the perfect spot. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like if you have a weight, a really heavy weight that you're going to try and squat, you're going to want to put it up on your shoulders, you know, like a barbell, like a back squat. So you put that up there. And then when you hinge at the, at the waist, all that weight is staying on top of your body where you're, where it's strongest. If you tried to I don't know, like imagine deadlifting behind your back or something like it's going to just be so much harder to carry that weight when it's low, like down by your butt. So, um, I don't know. That was weird. And if you can imagine that, like picking up a barbell behind you and then lifting it up, like on the small of your back, like behind your hips, that would be like where the bottom of your backpack is. Like you're just not going to be able to hold much weight there, but when it's up on your shoulders, you can walk around, you can move around that's where you want to put that heavy weight. So when you're hinging, you're moving in the mountains, that weight is staying on top of you and not like, like pulling the back of your body or the bottom <laughs> out from under you. Okay. So that that's number two, hike heavy. It's going to help you build, build strength. It's going to give you more options out in the field and it'll help you learn your gear. And then here comes the last one. So <laughs> I hope you guys don't hate me for this one, but I really think this is one of the things that is going to improve your season the most. And it's, free and that is running so 
most people don't like it. I still am not really sure if I like it or not. I like the benefits that I get from it for sure. Um, but seriously, every time I go out for a run, when I start, I'm like, what am I doing? This is the worst. And then eventually you get in a rhythm and you don't hate it as much. And then once you do it consistently for a long period of time, you'll start seeing the benefits and you're like, oh man, my, my aerobic fitness is better. I've got stronger joints. I've built endurance. And those are those primary benefits that I see. So the aerobic fitness, that makes a huge difference when you're hiking in the hills. Cause when you're hiking, your, your heart rate isn't super high. You're not like in that anaerobic, um, fitness area. Like you're not gasping for breath most of the time. Um, usually it's low and slow. Like you're just walking, you're carrying weight, you're working, but it's not a high level of intensity. It's a low intensity for a long period of time, you know, multiple days of just kind of constant moving and having aerobic fitness where you're, you're running slowly. You're just a a slightly elevated heart rate. You know, um, there's tons of (laughs) information about heart rate zones and stuff like that, but what you want to be able to do is is get to a heart rate where you can just hold a normal conversation and you're not gasping for breath. You know, you can speak in full sentences, like probably even paragraphs. You don't want to be going so fast that you're like saying a few words and then like stopping to catch your breath and then saying a few words. Like that's a, it's a good measure if you don't have a heart rate monitor, but you want to be in that low heart rate zone that you can sustain for a long period of time. And what that does is it builds up your, your engine, so to speak, like your heart and your lungs get used to working in that zone and it gives you a bigger engine. And then later on when you're hunting, you know, you can just go forever. Um, so that's that aerobic fitness. You want to be running in a, in a low and slow pace for long periods of time. Like if you can run for an hour, two hours with, without stopping, like that's, you're in a really good spot. And if that seems daunting to you, I mean, just start small, like run for 30 minutes or something. And, And I would, I would suggest just going for time, not for distance, just keep that heart rate where you're like, I'm, I'm working like this definitely isn't easy, but I can still speak in full sentences and I'm not terribly winded. Just keep that. That's going to be a different pace and, um, for everybody. So that's what I recommend. So that'll build that aerobic fitness, build you a bigger engine that will carry you through the Hills. And then the other thing that I've noticed is that running builds stronger joints. So especially if you're trail running, which I mean, as hunters, we, you probably prefer being on a trail rather than the road. Sometimes the roads are just a little bit more accessible, but if you can get on a trail and start running, I would suggest that because it can really help you build strong ankles, knees, and hips just because you're running on uneven terrain. You're having to choose your lines and it's just more enjoyable because you're out in nature and uh, there's fewer people. You don't have to worry about getting hit by cars all that stuff, but just running anywhere is fine. Like you're still going to build strong knees and ankles just by running on the roads too, but that'll help you a lot come hunting season. And then this kind of already touched on this a little bit, but just building endurance. And this isn't just physical endurance, but mental endurance. So running is hard, not because the act of running is hard, but because it's so easy to stop. This is what I've kind of contemplated on all these long runs I've been doing, um, is, it's, it's really not hard to run, but it's so easy to stop that you just, the the hard part is to just not stop. So you can always run for a few more seconds. And if you slow down, you can run for a few more miles. Like how, how long can your mind 
keep your legs turning over. And that's what I just keep coming back to when I'm on these long runs is like, I can run for a few more seconds. Like if I slow down, I could probably run for like a couple extra miles. And I've just found that it's a heck of a lot longer than you think. Like you, you can run way longer than you think. You can run for hours on end as long as you just stay hydrated, keep those calories coming in, and your mind will quit before your body does, usually. And the mental strength is just like any other strength. You have to build it up, and I think running is one of the most effective ways to do it because nobody will care or know if you quit a little short. So, like if, for example, if you're going to go run five miles and you only do four most people don't even run four miles. So it's really easy to tell yourself, oh, it's okay to stop because, you know, hey, you accomplished four miles already, but the plan was five. So could you have done five? The answer is probably yes. If you just did four, like you can probably just do one more. So you can always go for another mile. So why didn't you? Probably because your mind talked your body out of it. And I call that little voice telling you to stop my inner wimp. And my goal when I go out is to defeat the inner wimp and go one more mile and keep fortifying that mental strength by running. So conquer your inner wimp and go for a run. It's not only going to conquer the inner wimp and and defeat that wimp inside your mind that is telling you to stop, but it's also going to help you build aerobic fitness, the mental fitness, build strong joints, and you're going to have more endurance. So anyway, this is kind of a shorter episode, um, but those are some three free three, three free things. (laughs) It's hard to say three free things that you can do to improve your hunting season. So shoot your bow, shoot your bow, short range, short range, medium range, long range, do it as much as you can get that shot sequence down, shoot in your basement, shoot in your, in your garage, in the backyard, wherever you can shoot your bow, get that shot sequence down. Number two, hike heavy, you know, use whatever you have around the house, throw it in your backpack, strap it down, salt bags, weights, dog food, whatever you can. That's going to build strength. It's going to give you more options for hunting areas. It's going to make you more bold when you go out there in the field and you hear an elk bugle down in some deep, dark canyon, you're going to go after it. And it helps you learn your gear, how to carry heavy loads. And then the last one that I hope you all don't hate me, but go for a run running is going to help you build your aerobic fitness, build those strong joints, your ankles, knees, and hips. It's going to build that mental durance. So anyway, that was the a brief overview of all those things. I hope that you'll do some of those things. They're for free and, and improve your hunting season this year. And, uh, that's it for this episode. Um, for an update for those of you who care, I'm still working on getting the website back up and running. I've officially changed my web hosting over. So I'll be building out the website over the next few weeks and hopefully I can get some stuff up on the website. If you are looking to buy a shirt or a hat or a mug or whatever, I, I, I just got to connect those two services and stuff. And then, uh, I sold a few of them, but I, I think I have like seven hats left because you, if you remember the bot that bought the bot BOT that bot purchased a bunch of hats and I, I had to intercept them from going to the red lobster. If you didn't hear that story, you know, go back a few episodes and listen, but anyway, I've got, I think I have seven hats left. They're the Brown, um, khaki ones with the, they have the logo on them. If you're interested in getting one of those at a discounted price, uh, hit me up on Instagram right now. That's the only way to contact me and I can get you hooked up. Um, otherwise you can just wait until the website's up. All right. So that's it. 
Thanks for listening today. I hope you will take those three things and improve your hunting season. Turkey season is just around the corner, probably already started for most people in Utah. It's a little bit later, but anyway, get out there and hunt the West. (laughs) 